Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Recipe Required podcast. And I'm your host, Leslie Taylor. This is part two of my conversation with Hillary, uh, aka the Red Wine Ladies, um, where we're going to continue to talk about our uh, the Merlot and the Cabernet Sauvignons that we tasted from two more regions. So this time we're going to take you to France and we're going to take you to Chile. Um, the photos of the two wines we chose are on my Instagram page, so check it out there. Um, and the details on those wines will be in the show notes as well. So don't skip ahead and look at the show notes. Listen to the episode first, then go read the show notes uh, to find out um, the two wines that we chose. So hope you enjoy this second of, and there'll be a third. That's like spoiler alert. There's going to be a third episode because we just kept talking and talking and talking. So please enjoy this second episode of Red Wine Ladies um, with my dear friend, Hillary. What is your second wine, your second Merlot? But there's, you know, not a lot of selection. And we already had this other Merlot and I decided I was going to go Merlot. And I was like, well, what am I going to find? So, you know, a search on the LCBO website revealed some rather fascinating, more fun facts. 257 matches on the Lickbo site. 17 countries. Oh, I was like, wow. So back to that, it's you know, grown all over the place, including five wines from the Republic of Moldova. Oh, I didn't even know they made wine. Neither did I, but there's five of them from there. Who knows? Our liquor store didn't stock any of them. Then then there was all this, there were 10 models from Israel. Mm. I was like, well, that's interesting. Um, some of which are sort of, you know, around that 20... $25. And then there's one, Galil Mountain Yifta. It's a Merlot Petit Verdot. Mm. It's kosher. $99.40. $99? $99.40 from Israel. Wow. That's, ex- yeah. that's a lot of money. It's <laughs> a lot of money, right? Because so, I saw um, in the, the latest is, issues of Vintages magazine had, they were profiling four kosher wines. And I thought the one from Israel was like $14.95. So maybe. Well, they have other kosher oh, wines okay, from okay. Israel, but, yeah. but this one was just, whoa. Yeah. That's kind of, um, that's interesting. Anyway, so there I was with my dilemma, wandering around the shelves. What can I find? What can I find? Um, and <laughs> I did find something from Italy. Mm. But at $12.95, I was like, mm, maybe there's something that can be more comparable, right? Because I don't want to sort of tip the balance too far, even though it would be different country, different terroir. But then I found my wine. It's so perfect. It's from Bordeaux. Bordeaux. <laughs> So we've got the U.S. versus France in my little tasting world here. Okay. Um, another fun fact. So the most expensive Merlot sold at auction in 2011. And it was a case of 1961 Petrus. Mm. 1961. That's older than we are. I know. 
Just. I think uh, I'm hoping that we've aged as well because the case sold for $144,000, which is $12,000 a bottle. Wow. However, my Merlot was $19.95, which is, which is much more reasonable. It is a joint venture of two different families, Chambard and the Specs, whose Specs are Henry of Pelham. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Carve, Mystère, Chambard, and Speck, Merlot. It's, so, so where this wine is made, um, there are these caves below the vineyards that have provided shelter for, for you know, since prehistoric times. But in the early 1700s, the limestone was mined. So they expanded the caves sort of underneath this region by many miles. But the stone was used to build the city of Bordeaux, Mm. which is kind of interesting. Excuse me. So um, those two families collaborate on this wine and it's aged in in barriques. So those small um, barrels in these caves um, in Bordeaux. Mm. So interesting. Now, Bordeaux is close to the European Atlantic coast, right? right. So there's Lodi. Yeah, the southwest part of the country. Right. But it's whereas quite Lodi, inland. Yeah. Yes, further inland certainly than Lodi, but yeah. still has coastal influences, which I thought was, was kind of an interesting um, sort of comparison. This wine, the way they describe it, which I think is really interesting, um, using rich, ripe, pre-selected Merlot grapes from the Cadillac region. Hmm. Um, It's mid-Atlantic in style, new world flash with old world elegance. Hmm. Hello. Um, Cultivated on the limestone soil, supple, red cherry berry and mocha notes fine balanced tannins and it says it's sort of on the lighter side of medium bodied aged in in this french oak for 18 months so lodi didn't mention anything about the oaking this very much oaked um and actually scored a 90 by some guy called dean tudor i don't know who that is Anyway, that's what the Lickbow says about it. So I'll give it a little nose. Mm. It has the same alcohol content as the other, but I'm not getting a strong... Like it's not hitting you in the back of your nose. No, it's definitely not. No. No, fruit, definitely, but not the alcohol. Sort of the tannins are there, they're good. They balance the fruit, I think, very well. The cherry, I think, is there. I would say it's sort of more, it's brighter. It's like it's sort of, you know, not the dark, dark cherry, but mm-hmm. the, a little bit more sort of the, the sour, on the sour cherry side. What year is it? Um, so this one is a 2018 whereas the other one doesn't have a specific vintage it was released in 2022 so it's probably not from a specific vintage right so explain what that means 
when, okay. when they don't put a year on, cause they do this with champagne all the time, but um, right. I, if they don't put a year on the bottle, what does that mean? Do you think? So my understanding from what I can remember, um, the, the French was harvested and, and this wine was made from grapes from that harvest of that year and only those grapes. So it's allowed to have a, a vintage year associated with it. So you can typically track back to, well, what were the weather conditions and what was going on sort of that year? The Californian, on the other hand, well, they could have had some grapes from prior year that they're going to use in with this so you can't exactly pin it to a year now i was doing a little looking around i did find online some references to 2018 being a good year for this noble vines wine and i thought hmm, interesting it must just have been the year it was released because it is not a vintage wine per se mm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think when, when they don't put a year on it, it means that the grapes could have been from several years. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And I'm not sure how that process works. Like, do they ferment the juice and keep it or do they keep it unfermented? They ferment it? I think, I think they have to. Yeah. Cause I guess it would because just go otherwise bad. Otherwise you couldn't keep it. Yeah. Right. No, you couldn't. Yeah. And from what I remember, there's like, there's something to do with where they store it. We should sound more knowledgeable about this, but it was a long time ago that we did that wines course. Um, but yeah, I think that they can then bring in that, that juice from a prior year to balance off something if that year hasn't been great. Right. Yeah, Whereas I mean, typically a vintage year is like, you can sort of yell it from the rooftops, hey, this was a great year you know, yeah. for, for growing conditions. Yeah. Cause you know, um, consumers have expectations that when they buy a product, it's going to taste the same every time they mm. buy it. And mm. with something like grapes, I mean, in wine, they can't taste the same every year. Right. Things are going to taste different from year to year, but people want to yeah. go and buy that familiar bottle off the shelf and expect it to taste the same this year as it did, right. you know, eight years ago when yeah. they bought it the first time. And yeah. it's not possible. And I remember hearing this and kind of going off topic a little bit <clears throat> a while back that they do this even with milk. Uh, sorry, not from different years. <laughs> They're not I was just going to say, no, no, no. what? <laughs> where they take milk from different cows and different farmers and different places mm -hmm. and they bring it all together because again people have an expectation that milk is always going to taste exactly the same but as you can imagine the way that you grow the grape is going to have an effect on the taste of the grape and the what you feed the cow is going to have an effect mm -hmm. on the taste of the milk that comes out of that cow and so in order sure. to not have that variation they blend stuff together in order mm -hmm. to create a more homogenous tasting milk, so to speak. And they do right. that with, especially in the inexpensive wines, um, you know, where people are just, you know, spending like 10 or $12 mm -hmm. on a bottle of wine. They want right. that to taste the same every single time. They don't want it to taste different from year to year. So back to the seven deadly sins um, yes. example, that's, that's highly likely what they're doing there, right? I was just sipping ahead. Uh -huh. um, oh, ahead. I'm oh. Sipping, no, no, I'm sipping ahead. 
uh, I was trying to have a couple of sips here of my next wine. Uh, my second uh, wine from the Southern Hemisphere is uh, from Chile. From Chile. And oh. uh, so for those who don't know where Chile is, it's in South America. It's a long, skinny coastal country. So it's bordered by um, the Pacific Ocean on one side and by Argentina on the other, with the Andes Mountains being the dividing line that separates mm. the two countries. So Chile actually has three different types of regions. They've got the mountainous regions, they've got the valleys, and then they have the coastal regions. And each one of those is going to produce a slightly different style of wine, mm. depending on uh, which part they are from. The wine I've chosen is, is uh, from a valley. So it's in the middle, it's inland, ah. it's in the middle. But it's still at a fair amount of uh, elevation. Um, it's not like a flat land. It's sort of up mm. a little bit. Um, okay. The region that is, so the most popular region in uh, Chile is the Central Valley. And I think it's something like three quarters. Now, maybe, maybe not three quarters, maybe two thirds of the wine in Chile comes from the Central Valley. That's the largest oh. and most popular region. The most popular of those that we probably see here in Canada is the, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of these properly, the Maipo Valley, M-A-I-P-O. Mm. That is sort of the best known region uh, in the Central Valley. The one that I chose though um, is um, from a, a region called Aconcagua, the Aconcagua Valley, which is in the valley of the Aconcagua Acon Mountain, which is the highest peak in the Western Hemisphere. And it has Ooh, snow caps all year round. And apparently it's quite stunning and beautiful. Um, so that's the region that we're looking at. And that region's about 100 kilometers north of Santiago, which is the capital of Chile. Mm. Um, going back to just sort of Chile in general, um, they had a strong French influence. So a lot of the typical Bordeaux grapes were brought to Chile and planted there. So you've got a lot of Merlot, you've got a lot of Cabernet. Mm. Um, and another grape that kind of made an appearance they thought was Merlot, but turned out it was Carmenere, which ah. is now sort of like, like, uh, Malbec is to Argentina, Carmenere is to Chile. People see it as being like, that's the, you know, most popular grape of, of Chile or best mm. known from Chile. And they do a lot of Carmenere in Chile, still not as much as Cabernet though. They do way more Cab than they do um, uh, Carmenere. Um, and Carmenere was always kind of known as a blending grape. It's also very popular in France. You find it in Bordeaux as well. Um, it's very closely related to uh, Cabernet Franc, similar to your right. you know, Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, and it was actually mistaken for Merlot. And then they did some mm. testing on it and found, oh, this is not Merlot. This is something different. And it's Carmenere. So <laughs> that is the other big uh, grape that is found in, in that region. Um, usually it's blended, uh, but as I said, it's starting to kind of make an appearance as sort of a primary grape um, in wines that are coming out of Chile. Mm. And going back to that course that we took way back when, it was 20 something years ago now, yeah, 22, 23 years ago, something like that, uh -huh. um, 98, 99, something like that. Um, 
I remember our instructor talking about Chile being like the new California and because the Ah. climate there and the soil there is very similar to what you get in California. Um, But for whatever reason, it never really took off the same way. I don't know if it was a marketing thing or they just Mm. didn't weren't able to produce the volume or I don't really know the reason why, but it didn't really take off um, Mm. in terms of popularity, the way that California wine has definitely in the last 20 to 40 years. Um, So uh, this wine that I'm drinking, it's a 2018 Cabernet Sauvignon from uh, a winery called Arbolita. And Arbolita is a Spanish word for grove. Um, it's also sustainable and biodynamic. Um, it's a fairly young vineyard. Their vines were only planted around uh, in 99 and 2000. So only just over 20 years old. So not super old vines. Um, and the vineyard's called La, Las Ver- Vertinientes. Uh, that is the name of the vineyard. And it's uh, 37 kilometers inland from the coast. So it still gets a bit of that coastal uh, breeze. Um, but it's in a very warm valley. And uh, as a result, they get nice ripe fruit. And so really uh, well, well positioned for um, uh, to grow Cabernet Sauvignon. And in the same uh, vineyard, they grow um, Merlot and uh, Syrah or Carmenere. Oh, I can't remember. I have to look it up. Mm, I looked mm. it up and I didn't write it down. Uh, but <laughs> in that same vineyard, they grow three grapes and Cabernet Sauvignon being one of them. So this one, uh, I also opened about an hour and a half ago. It's closer to two hours now. And when I smelled it and tasted it the first time, so this was with dinner, it was so completely different from the Australian um, cab that I had just drank. So I drank the Australian one first and then mm. and had a few sips of that. And then I poured out some of the um, Arbolita from Chile. And right away I could tell by the smells, like this is a completely different wine. Like mm. there was no resemblance to the other wine. It was a lot more fruit forward. So it reminded me a lot more of a California wine because they tend to be a bit more fruit forward. Um, you mm. really can smell the you know, the, the fruits, the dark fruits and the, and, um, uh, even to some degree, a grapiness, like, it's funny how nobody ever describes that. Oh, the wine <laughs> smells like grapes. <laughs> because you know, Everyone says it smells like everything, but grapes. But a lot of times I find with California wines, a lot of them, especially the less expensive ones, um, they s- smell like grapes to me, right? Uh, like they smell very grapey amongst other things. And this one kind of smelled like that. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. Mm. And when I tasted it, it, it did taste very fruit forward. Um, now it tastes completely different after ah. having been open for two hours, it smells and tastes completely different. So now on the nose, I'm getting like mushrooms and I'm like, it's very, it's oh. more herbal Okay. Mushrooms and maybe like meat, meat and mushrooms. <laughs> mm. There's a savoriness to it, not in an herbal oh, way. Oh, interesting. It's, like... a, it's an earthy savoriness that I'm getting on the nose. Yes, I can still smell the fruit is there, but it's not as predominant. It's not as um, in your face as it was when I first tasted it um, two hours mm. ago. So I much, I like it a lot better now than I did when I first tried it. Right, right. And it's, it's mellowed out a little bit. It's still 
kind of gets you in the back of the cheeks a little mm-hmm. bit, like that acidity in the back. Right. So I'd say it's sort of like a medium to high acid. So um, it's not like super smooth. Yeah. And it, it, it still has all the dark fruits and all that kind of stuff, but it's got that earthy right. undertone. It's got that mushroom umami right. soy sauce kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, aroma uh, and taste to it. So it's a completely different wine now than it was two hours ago. So that's an interesting experiment to do as well right? What does your wine taste like now versus what did it taste like when you opened it? So it, right. we've been on the, on the line here for a little over, well, we've been on for about an hour. Mm-hmm. How do your wines taste now? An hour? So yeah. So mine have been open about an hour and a half. So let's, I'm going back to California first. So the nose is definitely sort of mellowed out. Um, the fruit fruits there but now there's sort of this um it's a little bit of something leathery maybe Hmm. on the nose there I often get that leather tobacco kind of Mm. like that's the tannins in my mind that tannin thing gives it that leathery tobacco-y um yeah the, the dryness like how weird it is. is it to, to describe something that's wet as dry? I know. But, but it, it leaves is. your it's mouth not. feeling yeah. dry. That's it. Leaves it leaves your that's tongue it... feeling dry, um, yeah. not refreshed. The interesting thing about this is as I'm thinking about that, I'm saying, I, I'm saying that this wasn't oaked. I really need to go back and just dig a little bit more because now I'm tasting sort of more of an oaky, sort of taste there's something that's on that woody end of the spectrum that's the california lodi that you're drinking yeah 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 oh yeah the the french is so different on the nose there is for sure the acidity and and like the there's that leathery leatheriness to it mm-hmm and I think that's really typical of old world wine. So interesting, you have one old world and one new world wine. Both of mine are considered new world wines, Australian mm. and Chile. Um, and so the, the differences between uh, the old world style and the new world style. Um, yeah. I think interesting that they described this French one though, as as what was it they? Oh, they said like the best of the old world and the new world. New world flash and something like old world elegance. Old world class. I can, <laughs> yeah, I can see what they've done. Yeah, right, because they've sort of punched it up a little bit. Um, I would say with this one, the the fruit is still on that slightly more sort of tannic. Right? It's more tannic, it's more acidic, and, and the fruit is brighter right, than, than the Californian. They both, do they from look a the color same? perspective, yeah. yes, they do. And I, I'm not sure if I'm remembering this right. Do you remember, um, and again, we're back to this, you know, wine course that took place <laughs> a lifetime ago. Mm. 
but I seem to remember them saying something about you could tell a Merlot by looking at the very edge of the wine on the glass. Um, and it would it would have a color change. I thought it was orange, but I'm guessing that that's not right because I don't see any orange here. But yeah no you're right about that I just don't remember what the every wine kind of has that right so like for example tell, if you have right? like um you know a, a Barolo or something like that it's going to be a bit more garnet colored as opposed to yeah which has got a bit of that orange to it um whereas you know your Cabernets are typically and so I guess when they say look at the edge it's because the wine itself is usually too dark and too opaque to really right. get a sense of the color so when you look at the edge of the of the the wine in your glass you get a better idea of what the color is is it a blue purple mm. or is it a red purple is it an orangey purple like what are the mm. undertones and stuff associated with um yeah uh, with that and so uh i think merlot i want to say it's like a purple purple like it's mm. it's on the blue purple side in my mind i could be completely wrong so i'm gonna have to look that up and put it <laughs> put it in I the think, show notes I think Let's look it up because what I'm seeing is not on the purple purple. I would no. say it's sort of on the like pinky to almost sort of not orange orange, but sort of, you know, that more like a light purple. Yeah. But on like, the red side of purple, not the blue side of purple. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting with the, uh, with the Cabernet Sauvignon as well. It's definitely, uh, it's a purple, but it's on the red side of purple uh, for sure. Mm. And, um, uh, but it's so, and they're, and they're virtually identical. Like the two wines that I'm looking at are virtually identical in terms of the color, uh, mm. the, like how opaque they are, um, right. like how dense they are, how viscous they are in the glass. Right. Maybe Australian one is a little bit more, it seems to have a little bit more body to it. Like when you swirl it around, mm. it seems a, a little bit more dense, but not a lot. More Did dense. you say what the alcohol content was of your Chilean? Let me look it up. Can't remember. You keep talking. I'm going to go check. Okay. All right. You go check. Because both of mine were 14 and a half percent, which, you know, I think is more it's sort of more alcohol forward than the wines typically used to be you know wines used to be more 13 and a half a 14 was a bit stronger now you find 14 and a half and even I think I think you can't go any higher than a 15 because I think then it's like port or something yeah I think I think that's right I think uh um so the uh Gran Barossa uh, from Australia is 14 and a half percent. And I think I said, uh, it felt like it had more alcohol in it. Um, right. Whereas the Chilean is 13 and a half percent. So 1% uh, difference. And, and yeah. I definitely could taste that. Um, because the, the, um, Australian really kind of hit me in the face a little bit more when I tried it, it was like, uh -huh. Ooh, this right. is, you know, I could really taste the, uh, the alcohol in it and smell the alcohol in it, um, mm. more so than the, um, uh, than the uh, Chilean, the Arbolita. You know, of the two, would you say, like, oh, so one question, were they regular shelf or vintages in LCBO? Oh, they're both at vintages at the LCBO. Uh, right, okay, yeah, so were mine. Um, and the- al al Although the Italian one that I found for $12.95 was regular shelf. 
Mm. Just FYI. That might be another episode where I've got to go searching through the regular show. Cause I just the make beeline show? for vintages because I just mm. find, I don't know, the, the wines are a little more, more interesting. Um, you're not mm. always seeing the same stuff. Like there's a right. lot more new stuff at the, at vintages. And of course I'm being very Ontario centric here. Um, obviously if you're in other parts of the country or other parts of the world, um, you know, your access to wine is going to be different than what we get here. Um, yeah, we're very influenced by case count, right? How yeah. much they can deliver, right? Because it's going all the way across the province of Ontario, which is quite large. Yeah. Whereas yeah. for vintages, smaller, mm -hmm. smaller lots are brought in, right? Right. They tend and so to you get more variety. Yeah. And you don't get, so when something comes into vintages, it may not be in every store. Whereas on the regular shelf, if you find it in one store, you're going to, I mean, unless they're out of stock, you're going to find it in, in every store pretty much, right. but vintages they'll, and certain stores have um, a broader selection of things in vintages, mm -hmm. depending on the size of the store. Um, I think every store has a vintages corner and there's certain, yes. you know, certain wines that you will always find in vintages. Um, so they call them vintages essentials. Don't vintages essentials. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like the Oyster Bay. Oh, I'm not right. supposed to talk about Sauvignon Blanc from oh. New Zealand. <laughs> stop, stop. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but that's like one of the vintages essentials. And there are a few of those wines from that region in France that I like so much that are part mm -hmm. of vintages mm -hmm. essentials as well. Right. <clears throat> yeah, we will move on. That's I'm right. Moving on. Canada moving on. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit the other side and go back to Canada. Just because I did want to mention that there are some, there's some great Merlot grown here um quite a bit in Ontario um I did sort of toy with the idea of trying to find some but in my liquor store that wasn't possible so that might be an interesting thing to do is just sort of compare and contrast sort of um some of the Ontario ones like Taws and Featherstone and and those guys um Burrowing Owl um out in BC they have a really good Merlot that's often makes its way to the vintages shelf. Um, I think it's a little more pricey though. I think it's about $40 if mm. my mind serves me right. Um, and then, you know, in my, in my little collection of all things BC, um, you know, the, the uh, Black Hills mm. winery that we have a membership to, they, have a fantastic Merlot, um, as does um, one of the other wineries, Painted Rock. Mm. That's a, it's a delicious because I think I think in the um, in a Soyuz in the Okanagan Valley, I think those are good conditions for you know for growing Merlot there. I would say even more so probably than Ontario. So it might be interesting to sort of compare those two, BC and the Ontario Merlots, but. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we do pretty well with it. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And thanks to my special guest and very dear friend, Hillary, for joining me on this little journey. 
uh, talking about Merlot and Cabernet, two wines from four different regions. Um, We're going to come back with a third episode. And in that third episode, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more just about wine in general. But we also did a little experiment where um, we left, let our wine sit in the fridge for a couple days. And then we came back and talked again about whether those wines held up and how we stored them and uh, what, if anything, changed about the wine. So stay tuned for that episode coming up next week. And in the meantime, keep on cooking and drinking. Take care.